You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Isn't it hard to believe that we're six Sundays into the new year? This is Sunday number six. And it honestly truly feels as if we are still in January. I mean, I just, I, I just can't believe we've already, after today, have heard six sermons. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's the focus of this year. It was the focus of previous years, and it will be the focus of future years. But this year, it is, it is special. It's just special. And every single sermon is completely around the model of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about that in the month of January. Last week, we began a brand new series that will take us all the way through to Easter Sunday. And we're calling this series, Jesus, Our Mediator. And there's no other place in Scripture where we find a greater, uh, greater words of a mediator than the last words of Jesus on the cross. Because the cross is the place of mediation. On the cross, Jesus uttered seven cries. They were the last words of Jesus. And they were more than just last words. They were lasting words. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus uttered those words And we're still applying them to our lives. It's interesting how the last words of a dying person tell us a great deal about who they are. And last week I introduced you to a few of just random last words. I want to do it again with a purpose this morning. Because so many last words are just random and rambling words. Like the late actor Humphrey Bogart. Whose last words were very futile. When he said, I should have... Never switched from scotch to martini. Really? So that's, that, that's it, huh? Or maybe the last words of a man who led a country in World War II to defeat Adolf Hitler. And here he is in his last words, falling into a coma. And he says, I'm bored with it all. If you've ever been to Memphis and visited a a museum there of a famous rock and roll icon, maybe you've experienced uh, as you've walked through that home as I have, and it's just an interesting thing, but you can't help but to think that somewhere at some time there was a man who said these words at the end of his life, I'm going to the bathroom to read. Or maybe the famous distiller of whiskey, Jack Daniels, who said these futile words, one last drink, please. But the last words of Jesus, they're not some random and rambling words. They're profound. They're poignant. They're powerful. They're statements that not only tell us a lot about him, but they're statements that teach us a lot about how we should live our lives. These, church family, are divine declarations In fact, that statement has already been said, that statement I just made, so you can put it on the screen. But they are divine declarations that teach us how to handle the difficulties of life. Isn't life, Miranda, difficult sometimes? You're a cancer survivor. I met with some of your team this week. I'm so proud of you. She's going to be raising money uh, towards curing leukemia. 
Blood cancer, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, all cancers. And uh, she's a hero of mine. And I remember laying hands on you in this service and anointing you with oil in that long fight that you and Jesse and the two girls went through, right? Life can be difficult, can it, Miranda? It can be hard. You know, life can be painful. You know, I've pastored for 31 years. I'm going to make this statement and very confidently make it without any reservations that I'm off kilter or maybe just exaggerating slightly. I don't think I am. In fact, I know I am not. I'm even including when I go on vacations for a couple of weeks, even during a vacation where you get away, there's still going to be that text, that phone call, that email that is necessary for a pastor to work through as people. In 31 years of ministry, I've never had a week where I can say it's been free of either pain that I've gone through or pain that you've gone through. Difficulty. Situations in life that are hard to deal with. And these divine declarations teach us how we can manage and maneuver our way through the difficulties of life. Last week, we began with the first cry of Jesus from the cross. Father. Father. Forgive them. And we learned in, that, in those words that when we've been hurt, like Jesus was hurting on that cross, that we need to offer forgiveness to others. He is our model. He is our example. And this morning, like it was last week, is all about Jesus And so this week we come to that second cry on the cross as Jesus hung between two criminals and was who were being executed for their crimes. This particular cry from the cross is accounted for in three of the four gospels. And we're going to look mainly at the gospel of Luke, but we will borrow some truths from John and from the book of Matthew as well. So would you join me in stepping into the text like we did last week? In Luke chapter 23, let's imagine being in this moment where the people stood watching. And even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is really God's Messiah, the the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came and offered him sour wine. And then they said, If you're really the king of Jews, save yourself. Because there was an inscription that was above him that read, this is the king of the Jews. Before we read verse 39, I want you to imagine this scene. It's pretty intense, isn't it? Can you hear the mocking sounds of the soldiers and of those in the crowd? Sounds of confusion and condemnation. For this was a very dark and lonely hour for Jesus. Judas had just hung himself after his betrayal. One of the twelve. Another one of the twelve, Peter, had denied Christ and cursed his name. The soldiers have stripped Jesus and whipped him. And he hangs on a cross as we read these words naked. God the Father is about to turn his face from Jesus. And scripture says in verse 39, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Just picture that. Here is a dying man. Here is a man who is suffering. He's being crucified. And and here is what he's doing, yelling insults at Jesus. 
Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, the other answered, rebuking him. Picture with me for a moment what's happening here. You've got two thieves on each side of Jesus arguing with one another. Quarreling. Fighting as the mediator. The man in the middle. The one who came as he suspended between heaven and earth to save sinners. And as they quarrel, the other answers and rebukes the other one. And says, don't you even fear God? You're undergoing the same punishment. But we're being punished justly. We deserve it. We're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And in the middle of the yelling, and in the middle of the insults, and in the middle of the madness of the moment, that criminal then says, Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is then, church, that we hear the second cry from the cross. Jesus, who is hanging there. Again, we talked about last week how difficult it would have been even to speak words. He would have had to lift himself up to breathe air, to get air into his lungs. And as he begins to maneuver his neck, his neck muscles surely cramped, and he he moves them as, as much as he can to the right, and he looks at that repentant thief. And this is what Jesus answers to those words. And he said to him, in pain, Suffering the same pain as they were suffering. In pain, he says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What is it that Jesus is teaching us with those words? When you're in pain, take time to offer hope. To others. At times, life is going to be difficult. At times, life is going to give us pain. And even though you may be having a difficult time, Jesus teaches us in that moment give hope to someone else. Because in this world, there will be pain and there will be suffering. Pain is a real part of life. In this life, we will suffer pain. And, and you know, oftentimes it is so easy to just equate pain to one type of pain, and that is physical pain. Physical pain is something that we can see. It's often shown in the anguish in someone's face when they stub their toe or hit their thumb and they're driving a nail through the wall or maybe pain of a broken leg or a broken tooth or a migraine headache. Oftentimes, as I stand in the back and ask folks how they're doing, they refer to physical pain they're going through or physical pain that someone else is going through. It's hard to focus when you're in pain, isn't it? I mean, when you're in physical pain, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to focus on anything but the pain you're in. I mean, when you are physically hurt, when you feel pain in your body, Job said, Or rather, it was said of Job that he feels only the pain in his own body. It's hard to feel anything else but the pain, the physical pain. 
But there's another kind of pain. It's emotional pain. This pain you don't see. This pain, if you will, oftentimes is invisible pain. It, it, it's often been called a broken heart. That's why Jesus said in Scripture that he came to heal the broken hearted. Oftentimes our hearts are broken by the death of a loved one. I had a church member at the end of the service say, pray for my family. My aunt and uncle were in a tragic car accident. This is in the lobby today, 30 minutes ago. My uncle died instantly. And his wife is in the hospital, grieving the death of her husband. Pastor, pray. Pray. Physical pain and emotional pain. David said, my heart is severely pained within me. But there's a third pain. In the world today, we suffer from a lot of mental anguish and mental illness. There's a, there's a mental pain that oftentimes racks our minds, things that happen that we can't wrap our minds around. And why did that happen? I don't understand. They, they didn't deserve that. It just doesn't make any sense. And the psalmist said about this kind of pain that when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I just, I cannot comprehend this. And suffering and sorrow are a real part of life. But one day in heaven, there'll be no more pain. In fact, Revelation 21, 4 says that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death will be no more. And grief will be no more. And crying will be no more. And pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Hallelujah. But until then, all creation groans in pain. Romans chapter 8 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And sometimes people end up in physical pain, don't they? You and I. And sometimes people end up in emotional pain. And sometimes we go through mental pain. And what Jesus is teaching us in this second cry from the cross is when we're in pain, offer hope to somebody else. You know what the second cry from the cross is? It is simply love speaking. Love speaking a word of assurance. God is love. Amen. He is love. And when he speaks, he speaks words of love. And these words that he speaks to this criminal and to these criminals on the cross are words of love. And they give assurance to one in particular. So how do we actually manage then to offer hope in difficult times? What can we learn from Jesus? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So what can we learn from Jesus in this second cry, first of all, and I think if we don't get this one, then we, we really don't walk out fully helped by the message. So don't miss this. First of all, realize that others are in the same pain. This is so important. The other two are shorter points and they go by much quicker. This one, though, is so important that you grasp and understand because if we are going through difficulties, it's easy to think that we are the only ones in pain. I've been there. C can I confess to you at times I become self-absorbed in my own pain? 
And that pain takes away all of my attention to other things. And I begin to think, as I know maybe you can understand, that nobody really understands what I'm going through. Think with me for just a moment in this, in this moment of a time when you were in pain. In any kind of pain. Maybe it was cancer pain. Or, or a broken leg or a broken bone. A broken tooth. A broken heart. Betrayal pain. Doesn't pain have a way of consuming our thoughts? Isn't it true that we can quickly forget that others are in pain too when we are in pain? And when we're in pain, we tend to what? Complain. Come on now. That's not a statement I want on a t-shirt. Right? It's true. When I'm in pain, I tend to complain. But Jesus teaches us that others are experiencing your same struggle. And in our text, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. Let's read John chapter 19 and and verse number 18. Another text here, another gospel where it says they crucified him with two others with him, one on either side. And I love this. And Jesus in the middle. I'm getting glorified goose pimples right now because I'm, what I'm about to tell you is maybe the best part of the sermon. Jesus is in the middle of your pain. Oh, oh, did you feel that? Am I the only one awake this morning? He's in the middle. He's in the middle of your pain. He's in the middle of your suffering. He understands what you're going through. That's why we can learn so much from Jesus. He's in the middle. And there we see it's all about Jesus. He's interacting with these two men. He's in pain and he's actually interacting with these two criminals on the cross. He's demonstrating sensitivity to the needs of other people who are dealing with the same pain that he's dealing with. And there in the most important in the midst of the most important event in history. By the way, that's why we're remembering it 2,000 years later. You do know why we're observing the Lord's Supper today is because without his sacrifice, you and I would have no hope of heaven. This, This is important. What we are doing this morning by remembering the death of Jesus, the sacrificial death of our sinless Savior, in the midst of that moment, God introduces us to these two men. And they're not just like cameos in the scene. They're not just like passerbys. No, these guys actually get to speak. They they, they actually have been chosen to be part of the story. I mean, like they've got lines. Like God said, hey, no, no, let's, let's make sure to give them a few words in Scripture. I've got something I want to teach. Why would God bring these two thieves into the picture? I'm convinced it's because God understands the anger and God understands the frustration and God understands the pain that many of us carry in our lives. He understands. We don't know who these two men are, but we do know that their past got him into a lot of trouble. They got on the wrong track. Something happened. I don't know what it was, something that they did or something that maybe was was done to them. 
And eventually they were caught in that something. And the Roman government said, this is so bad. It requires death by execution on a cross. In Luke's account, these two criminals, they reacted to pain differently. We see very clearly in Luke's account that the unrepentant thief is in pain. And his reaction is to deny any fault and to blame Jesus. It's clear in the passage. He decided that everything that happened to him was clearly someone else's fault. His anger against God was so deep that even at the end of his life, he refuses to open his heart. And so he goes to his grave angry and full of animosity. But then there's the other thief. Totally different response. The repentant thief is in pain too, but he defends Jesus. And he asks for help. So let's take a moment and look at these two actors in this this story. Let's first look at the unrepentant thief, this criminal. And what happens to him as he curses Jesus. In Luke 23, 39, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? He says, save yourself and us. In those words, we understand, we see, we feel that he's deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed in his life. Things have happened to this man that I'm sure none of us could really understand. We don't know that. I think at least we could imagine their childhood dreams didn't come to pass. I'm sure the things that he thought maybe would take place in his life just actually never took place. At some point, he ultimately decided it's, it's God's fault. And sometimes as pastor, I've I felt that way. Maybe you have at some point felt, you know what, I, I've just been through something and it just gets worse over time. Maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe a divorce, maybe some abuse you've been through, some kind of pain in life. And here's your interpretation. God just didn't come through. But I want you to listen to me. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture tucked away in Matthew chapter 11 that teaches us that Jesus calls all of us who are in pain to come unto him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, Come to me, all you who... And there's different different words here used. I'm using the ESV here, but there's different words that are used. I love the, the, the translation here, though. Those who labor and those who are laden. Come to me if you labor. Come to me if you're laden. Either way, either way. Both crowds, both groups, both crowds in pain. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Who are those that labor? You know, some people labor to cause the burden. They bring it upon themselves. They labor to cause the the pain. They labor to cause the problem because of their sin. They make a choice, a conscious choice. They choose to sin. And as a result of that sin, it brings pain to their lives. But there are others who are laden. Meaning, they're laden with a burden that was no fault of their own. They did nothing to bring this upon them, but they're in pain. Serious pain. Just as much pain as someone, or it's a different, maybe a different kind of pain. But it's, it's, it's pain nonetheless. And what Jesus is saying here, either way, whether you brought the pain or someone else has burdened you with it, come unto me. 
and I will give you rest. And here's the good news. The same Savior says to the laden as he says to the laborer, in your pain, come unto me. And this is the first step to be able to offer help to someone in a difficult time is to realize that others are in the same pain. Think about this. I, don't, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I love the fact that at times I'm comforted in my pain because I know you've been through the same thing. It's not that I'm glad you went through it, but I'm kind of glad you went through it because I know I needed somebody to help me who understands in my pain. It's interesting that 1 Peter chapter 5 has something to say about that. It talks about being sober-minded and, and being alert and understanding the adversary is prowling. He's a roaring lion. He's looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing this, that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers. That's why we need community. That's why we need church. That's why we need to be in small group and lighthouses together. We need each other because we can know that others have experienced in our faith fellowship the same kind of sufferings. And we can come alongside each other. Because scripture teaches us this. We are not the only ones suffering. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So realize this, that God may have placed you in the same pit to help somebody get out. He's got a plan for your pain. We had a man in our church that recently had lung cancer and it reminded me a lot. My grandfather had the same kind of cancer and back when my grandfather had it, you had a big hole right here and and it just was covered up by a patch. And you had to constantly clean the mucus out. It was pretty gross. But, you know, I got used to it. And we had a man had that same kind of cancer in our church. It's so much more advanced now. And he's actually got a little contraption here. And he can speak. And so he was in service this morning. He came up to me. And he was speaking to his little hole here. It's incredible. It was powerful. I mean, he sounds funny. He sounds different. But you, you can hear every word he's saying. He said, Pastor, I, I really appreciate the service this morning. I said, man, thank you, brother. What, what, tell me about it. He said, well, this week, you know, uh, and he was talking in his way with his hole in his throat and a little piece there. He said, well, he said, uh, this week I went to get my checkup. And I found out that I'm still cancer free. It was a blessing. But while I was there, there was another man going in to have the same surgery. And he said, I had the chance to talk to him and encourage him and give him hope that, that the same doctors that cared for me are the same doctors caring for him. And then I got to tell him about Jesus and how my church prayed for me and I asked him if he went to church. And, and, and man, we had this conversation in the lobby this morning about this very thing that you and I can step into somebody's life who's experiencing pain and help them because we are experiencing the same pain. Maybe you're relating as I talk to this story, as I give you that illustration. It's so very easy for us to be blinded to the needs of others around us because all we can see is our own pain. But in the story, in the cry of Jesus, he reveals to us that we need to look past our own difficulty and remember that others are in the same pain. 
Now, after we realize that, then we're ready for number two. We, like Jesus, can remain sensitive to the needs of others. When we realize that others are in the same pain, then we can be sensitive to their needs. Look at Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse number 40 here. As this repentant thief says, he rebukes the unrepentant thief and says, don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment. We've been punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. Now, before we go further and look at this repentant thief, I want to stop for just a moment and borrow something from another gospel. Because what's interesting to note in the other gospel that we're going to read is that there was a point in time when both of these thieves were railing on Jesus together. You might get the impression by just reading the Luke account that the, un, that the repentant thief uh, was just constantly repentant. But no, he was not. According to Matthew, read it with me on the screen. And, and, and let's just draw from it this simple truth. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. Matthew's account says they passed by, were yelling insults at him, much like the account in Luke. They said, would you, you, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest, the scribes, the elders mocked him. They said he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if, it takes ple- if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Pay close attention to this next passage. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Both of them. Both of them were railing and taunting Jesus. But somewhere, somewhere in this oral ordeal... One of the criminals, this repentant thief, understood that Jesus really is the Son of God. Somewhere in the story, he came to his senses. And he, something changed in his heart. And I love this part of the story. And as he says, don't you even fear God. It's as if he comes to a place where he realizes, wait a minute, I know that I've sinned against God. Don't you even fear God? And then he realizes that Jesus was more than a man when he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's done nothing to deserve this. We deserve this. And then he recognizes that you're only saved by grace when he says, we're punished justly. We're getting back what we deserve. As these thieves talked to one another on the cross, they looked across at the same Savior, but each thief took something different away from that conversation. The first thief began to insult and to criticize and to blaspheme, but the second thief turns to Jesus. He's no theologian. He doesn't know a whole lot. He can't quote any scripture. He's never been baptized. He's never been discipled. He doesn't know much about Jesus, but but he's made a mess of his life. He's wasted his life. He's hopeless. There's nothing he can do. His life's out of control. He knows he's going to die and face God, and he makes a decision. To repent. And Jesus is sensitive to the needs of others by listening to what he had to say. Now, I want to say this. 
oftentimes we need to listen to those in pain. Sometimes it seems as if we're more like Job's friends. You ever heard of Job's friends? Job's in pain and they just can't wait for him to shut up so they can just tell them what they think. And and sometimes I don't think people really need us to say a whole lot. They just need us to listen, to be sensitive. And Jesus in this moment is sensitive to the needs of others. And when we're in pain, we too need to be sensitive to others' needs and listen. And so Jesus, after this thief says what he says, he simply, the thief says, remember me. Jesus, remember me. That's his sinner's prayer. It's not really all that great. It's not a classic sinner's prayer. He doesn't say, I confess, and yet he does. He doesn't say, I repent, and he does. He doesn't say, I believe, but he does. He doesn't say, I I, I trust, but he does. And then our sensitive Savior says, listen to what Jesus says. His response is this, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's take a moment and break that down, shall we? That's an amazing statement. That's the second cry from the cross. And every single word in that second cry is powerful. Let's begin with the words, truly I tell you. Truly, I tell you, by the way, if God says it, you can believe it, that settles it. If Jesus says something, you can mark it down. So he says, first of all, put it up there. Truly, I tell you, assuredly, truthfully, in a world of deception, Jesus gives truth. Amen. What Jesus says is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You can trust everything he says. And when Jesus looks at this thief and says, truly, I tell you, that thief could hang on every word because what's about to come out of Jesus' mouth is going to be true. He then says this word today. How important is that word in the statement? Today means that Jesus is relevant. Today means that salvation is immediate. Salvation is not gradual. This thief didn't have a chance to come off the cross and get baptized or do good works or go to church. There was no chance for him to do any of that. And Jesus wanted him to know that's okay, today, right now, immediately, you will be. Not you might be, not you could be, not it's 50-50. You will be, assuredly, security. You talk about security of the believer, Amen for that. Hallelujah, right? And then he says this, with me. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he says, in paradise. An eternal place of paradise and rest with Jesus. Oh, here's the point. It's not the words that the thief said. It's the direction of his heart. When that little 13-year-old boy came down the aisle Wednesday night, little boy from Lake Hamilton, he slips down the aisle. And I said to that boy, my first words out of my mouth were, why are you coming? And the little boy looked at me, the 13-year-old boy, I'm coming because I want to be saved. That's the first words we said to each other. Why are you coming? I'm coming because I want to be saved. And I said, well, I got some good news for you. I think you already are. He said, why? 
I said, when you took that step out of that seat and walked down that aisle, I'm going to pray with you, but I want you to know, I think God's already taken care of it all. He thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> he got a smile on his face, and he thought, really? I said, yes. Now, I want to talk to you about a few things. And we did. We prayed, and he prayed. It was beautiful. But, but, but God's not looking for some eloquent prayer. Sometimes we put so much emphasis on this prayer. The prayer doesn't save. It's the direction of your heart that saves. But it's Jesus that saves, obviously. But God sees the direction of our hearts. Salvation is simply saying yes to Jesus. Becoming a follower of Christ means giving as much of myself as I understand to as much of Jesus as I understand at that moment. And then I spend the rest of my life just growing in grace. Jesus saw the needs of others. He saw the needs of others. He remained sensitive to the needs of others, even though he had his own needs. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others, others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. If it's all about Jesus, it's all about others. When others are in pain, Give hope. Realize others are in the same pain. Remain sensitive to the needs of others. And when you've done those two things, then you're ready to respond in meekness in the time of trouble. You can respond. Notice Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what is his response? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Only Jesus has that kind of power. Only Jesus could save this man. Only Jesus has the power to transform a human life that as far as everyone else is concerned is finished. But only Jesus could save this man. And only Jesus can save you. And only Jesus can save, period. It is all about Jesus. That's why I love the song that our worship pastor wrote a few years ago called No One But Jesus. Remember it? Who can take the darkness and speak it into light? Who can stir the oceans and make the mountains rise? Who can hold the ashes and bring them into life? No one but Jesus. Who can touch the leper and heal him of disease? Who can calm the waters with just a word of peace? Who contains the power to bring kingdoms to their knees? It's all about Jesus. Who can see my failures and love me anyway? Who can bear my burdens and suffer in my place? Who can take my judgment and cover me in grace? No one but Jesus. Who can stop death's power and silence any sting? Who can overthrow the grave and rise in victory? Who is soon returning, the king above all kings? No one but Jesus. Are you with me this morning? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not about you. It's not about me. It's about the power of God. He's got the power. We're just vessels. I've got nothing to offer hurting people. The only thing I have to offer is the power that God has placed within me to comfort them in the suffering therein. Anything I have to offer anyone else is all because of Jesus. And what we see here on this cross is Jesus at the point of death offering forgiveness to others. Jesus at the point of death is saving people. Jesus at the point of death is loving people. What is he teaching us? He's teaching us that when we are in pain, offer hope, extend hope. Others are looking for hope, and we have the answer, and his name is Jesus. Just speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I know there is peace within your presence. So I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus this morning. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. If you know it, sing it. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadow, burn like a fire. Speak Jesus. Just speak Jesus into people's lives. When they're in pain, just speak Jesus. He is our hope. These two men needed what Jesus could give. But sadly, only one received it. Only one. These two men had two different perspectives. One saw the past, and the other saw the future. One could only curse while the other sang praises. One saw judgment while the other saw grace. One was on the way down while the other was on the way up. One saw a criminal, but the other saw a king. King Jesus. So when you're in a difficult time and someone needs help, give them Jesus. Give them hope. Isn't that what 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 teaches? But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Don't miss this. Ready. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In a world of questions, Jesus had an answer because it's all about Jesus. And what I have found in my short lifetime is that if you begin to care for people's needs, you tend to start forgetting your own. Yesterday, I went to the retirement center to speak. It's kind of humbling. You know, you walk in this place, and I'm going to tell you, at 845, you got a lot of things you want to do. 
and the burdens of Saturday mornings are crashing upon me. And I'm looking at the list of honeydews I've got. I'm looking at my text messages, and I'm thinking the last place I need to be is at a retirement home at 845, speaking to 20 people over 90. That is until I get there. I got the same burdens. I got the same list. I got the same problems. I got the same issues. I got the same packed out Saturday trying to figure out how I'm going to get it all in after a busy week. Just the house stuff. And then I walk in there and sing hymns because they like hymns, you know. I know we do too, but they, they really like them. And we sing those hymns, and then I get up and preach. You know, Don, you've done it. and Kevin, you've done it. And I bet there's other people in here that have done this. And you finish preaching, and you're like, this was awesome. They're all smiling. Thank you for coming. We, we wouldn't know what to do without you, preacher. I tell you what, the best part of our week is when you come. And I'm like, Man, I ain't got no problems. That honeydew list looks shorter. I'm ready to go. I, can, I feel like I can take on the world. Because when you reach out and love someone and help someone and offer hope to those who are suffering, you forget about your own problems. I think many times I have found that the Lord will lead us to others who are experiencing similar trials for the specific purpose of comforting them. Isn't that true? Isn't it interesting how God sometimes just, he, he, he puts us in someone's life for the purpose of comforting them. But wait a minute, time out, wait. We have nothing to offer. How can we comfort someone? We're not the comforter. So listen to 1 Corinthians in closing chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. Every time I read that passage, I'm thinking of the word comfort because it comes up. How many times? Four. But the whole key to understanding the passage is the last four words or five words. We ourselves receive from who? From God. The only comfort I have to offer is the comfort that God's given me. I'm just giving him what God gave me. It's not me. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But I know this. I've been through a lot. And God's comforted my wife and I through a lot of struggles. And even now with some of the things that we deal with and, and, and we're going through as a family. And my poor mother-in-law fell this week. And whew, the reason she's not in church is that she's got two black eyes. And I was afraid she might tell somebody it was her son-in-law. I said, stay home today. Bless her heart. It's awful. And, you know, it, 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 I, I think we're doing okay this morning, honey. I think we've been comforted by God. So guess what? I can comfort somebody else with that comfort. It's not comfort that I have. It's not anything I have to offer. It's all what God has given us. Don't waste your pain. What God has done in your life can give hope to others. So easy to be blinded by our own pain. But Jesus teaches us to look past our difficulty and give hope to others.